Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So without any farther ado, let's dive into our practice questions. So our first question we have is from Megan. She says, help. Of course we're ready to help you, Megan. How many calories are in D5 if it's running at 60 milliliters per hour? So this is a great question, and this is something we are covering in the nutrition support calculations class last week. And so I kind of put this topic in with domain two, with TPN. This is our IV fluids. So the first thing we want to do with this question is think about what's my total volume. So we can always assume that it's 24 hours a day unless they tell us otherwise. So if I'm running D5 at 60 milliliters per hour, multiply that times 24 hours. So in total, I'm going to get um, 1,440 milliliters of D5. And so then the next step is saying, well, if 5% of that volume, right, that's what D5W means 5% dextrose in water, we're saying that 5% of this is going to be dextrose. So I take my total volume, 1,440 times 0.05, and that tells me I have 72 grams. Remember, keep your units tight, get it right. And then dextrose is 3.4 calories per gram, so I do 72 grams times 3.4 calories per gram, and that tells me that I have 245 calories here. She also asked how many calories are in D15W at 125 milliliters per hour. Again, we're going to follow that same step, that series of steps. Step one, find total volume, 125 milliliters per hour times 24, 3,000 milliliters. This solution is 15% dextrose, so I take that times 0.15, and that's going to give us 450 grams of dextrose. And then we're taking that times 3.4 calories per gram, and I get 1,530. That's a lot of dextrose. So this person would have to be very big, right, to make sure that their glucose infusion rate was less than 5 milligrams per kilograms per minute. So really great um, examples there, and we kind of take those into TPN questions as well. Okay, we got another tube feed one. So this one's from Elle, and she's saying, I wrote this question down months ago, and I'm looking for suggestions. Again, always, if you have a question, even if you only have like a piece of it, throw it on the page, we'll talk about it. So this one says, one can of formula is 237 milliliters, which is correct. That's kind of like a standard can of tube feed, like the little boxes. They almost look like juice boxes. And they're saying it's uh, three quarters strength at 75 milliliters per hour. And so then they're also saying it's a 1.2 calorie per milliliter. How much water is needed? And so with this type of question too, again, they wouldn't ask you something this vague on the exam, but you know, kind of something adjacent. So what we're kind of thinking about here is we would want to be asking ourselves, well, what are the fluid needs 
of this patient. So what it's telling us, right, lots of different things. So the first thing I want to be thinking about, how much volume am I giving? And then think about how much tube feed volume I'm giving because it's only running at 75% strength, which means it's watered down a little bit with water. Um, we don't typically see this as standard practice, but as sometimes in pediatrics you might, and sometimes like old doctors and nurses will be like, run it at half strength. But what that means is you're kind of taking the tube feed and adding a little bit more water. So it's kind of bringing down the calories from the concentration that the tube feed's manufactured at, but we can still solve for it. So our first question is how many milliliters am I getting? So if I'm running this three quarter strength formula at 50 milliliters times 24 hours, again, we can assume it's 24 hours, right? Cause they didn't tell us otherwise. That tells me that I'm getting kind of this concoction at a total of 1200 milliliters. So then I, what I can do is I can use the information that it's only running at three-quarters strength. So what that's telling me is 75% of this volume, it's tube feed. So if I do 1,200 milliliters times 0.75, that's telling me that I have 900 milliliters of tube feed. And that's just tube feed, right? So we said 300 is going to be water. 900 is going to be tube feed. We know that because if it's running at 75% of the strength, we're saying 75% of the volume is tube feed. And this is definitely a great one to kind of bring in all of our skills here. So if I have 900 milliliters of tube feed and that tube feed is 1.2 calories per milliliter, I'm going to do 900 times 1.2. Um, and that's going to tell me that I am providing 1,080. 80 calories here with this tube feed. And so what we're thinking of next is this question, again, it's a little bit vague. They would ask you more specific on the exam. If the question is how much water is needed, kind of thinking what is this patient's fluid goals? So this would be a very small person if your needs were only 1,080 calories, but we can do one calorie per milliliter. So my answer to this would be saying that we are going to be providing about um, 1,080 milliliters or two. So that one's a really great one. So definitely, if you didn't write that one down and try it yourself, definitely pause and kind of re-listen to this too. Okay, so next one, we got a break-even question. So this looks like it's out of pocket prep. So this is when I get questions on a lot from my one-on-one -on -one students. So here we're saying ABC Bread Company wants to enter the gluten-free bread market. The fixed cost of manufacturing this product is going to be $20,000, and the variable cost per unit is going to be $0.60, cents, and we expect to sell 800 loaves of bread. So then this question is asking us, what is the break-even price for the gluten-free bread loaf? And so when we're thinking about our break-even pricing, what we're saying is what is kind of like the dollar amount where my costs are going to be are going to be equal to how much money I'm bringing in. So when we read this question the first time, it's not really sticking out which one to use, right? Because we have two. We have break even and units sold saying I need to sell this many loaves of bread at this price. And then we also have break even in sales volume saying this is how like many dollars of bread I need to sell to get there. So 
this one is not being very clear because it's an algebra question. And I get this a lot from students who are frustrated, and rightly so, it's confusing with the math questions. When they're asking you an equation you know, but they're making you kind of do algebra and you know jump through hoops to kind of fix it. So what I would do with this question first is kind of write out both of our equations. So our first equation, which is going to be for break even in sales volume, saying I need to sell $10 million of bread, is going to be fixed cost divided by, and then get our parentheses out, one minus, and then parentheses, variable cost minus sale, again parentheses. So I'm subtracting variable cost minus sales, and then doing one minus that, and then dividing that by fixed cost. So definitely write that out if we were writing it out, again, to kind of repeat it. You'd have your numerator of your fixed costs, and then on your denominator, you would have a parenthesis one minus parenthesis variable cost minus sales cost parenthesis parenthesis. Don't forget your parentheses. So again, it's a little bit hard on the audio, so write it down. And then our other one is going to be fixed costs as our numerator, and then our denominator is going to be parenthesis selling price minus variable cost. So when we're thinking about the difference in these, what I want to do is I want to kind of say, well, what is this asking for? And so the answer here is actually asking us to find the selling price. So the only one of these equations that has selling price is going to be in units sold. So that's that second equation I said. And then I told you it was some algebra. So normally the fixed cost over my selling price minus variable cost is going to be equal to units sold. And so I want to plug in the information this question gave me. So write out that equation. Fixed cost divided by selling price minus variable cost equals units. And then let's reread the question to plug everything in. So we're saying fixed cost of manufacturing this product is $20,000. Okay, perfect. That's my numerator, $20,000. The variable cost per unit, and again, that per unit is like a ding, 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 ding. This is talking about per unit, is going to be 60 cents. So I'm plugging in my variable cost is going to be 60 cents, okay? And then I'm saying I expect to sell 800 loaves of bread. So that's going to be my equals units is 8,000 loaves of bread. So then, right, the bonus of the exam is if you are not that great at algebra, right, which I feel like, you know, not many of us are, we're not necessarily using this in our day-to-day, -day, what we can be doing is we could always plug, if you're worried you're going to get mixed up and you don't want to do that algebra, you can always plug in the answer options and say, okay, which one gets me to that 8,000 units? So on this one, our answer is going to be that I need to sell it at $3.10 because when I do that 20, that 20,000, oops, 20,000, there we go, divided by parenthesis 3.1 minus 0.6 parenthesis, that's giving me 8,000. So again, if you can do algebra, you can kind of finagle the equation. I think this one, again, take advantage of your answer bank. Plug things in, see which one you're getting 8,000 for. 
So that one's a really, really great question. Thanks so much for asking that. Okay, then we got another question. You guys are feeling all the math today. And definitely if math is a trouble area for you, check out the math bootcamp class. This is a great class for 65 bucks. You get a bundle of three classes. You get both my equations classes, which are going to walk you through kind of the basics of the equations on the exam. And then you have a two-hour practice question class plus study guide. So definitely check that out if it's a trouble area for you. So this question, the student was saying, I'm very confused around this. Are we always assuming a 10% loss? And is that a standard number? So yes. So when we're thinking about hitting costs, that is always going to be 10%. And something to think about is that's a cost. So if I'm doing something like prime pricing, where I need to find, add in the hidden cost, I want to be adding in the hidden cost before I multiply times my markup factor. So to say, for an example, if we're saying, you know, that my bagel is $2 in raw cost, and then my labor, let's just make this easy, is also $2, right? My total cost is $4. But then if I'm adding in my hidden cost, you can do this one of two ways. So either you can do four times 0.1 and say, okay, 10% is 40 cents. So my total cost would be $4.40 or how I like to do these ones. And again, do the way that works best for you. You can do four times 1.1. And that gets you the same answer, but it helps you to skip a step. So whatever way is going to make more sense for you, do that. And then once I add in the hidden costs, then you can go multiply times your markup factor um, too. Okay, next question. This is one, a really good one. We're out of the math for a little pause. What is the difference between a health claim and a structure function claim? So a health claim is going to be connecting your ingredient or food product to decrease risk of something. So the best one I like to think of for health claims and how I teach the class on it is going to be saying like eating Cheerios, which has whatever amount of whole grains, may reduce risk of cardiovascular disease. So I'm saying a specific food with a specific disease state. So you can say the product or a specific ingredient, but this is saying Cheerios, you know, supports heart health or may reduce risk of a heart attack. A structure function claim is when I'm just saying this ingredient, not necessarily a food, normally does this. So you see this all the time with supplements where it's like B12, not necessarily the B12 in here in the amount or the potency, but B12 supports energy. Calcium supports bone health. Omega-3 supports brain health. So structure function claim, I'm just saying, we know this ingredient does this, but we're not saying the amount of that ingredient in this food is enough, uh, is enough to actually do that. So think Cheerios versus a supplement. So I'm definitely kind of putting examples. So the next one we have is a question for me, and I said, which foods contain high amounts of inulin? And this is a good one to test your reading because if you read this really quick and you're like, insulin? No, inulin. So this is a prebiotic. So remember, prebiotics are going to be kind of feeding our gut flora versus probiotics are additional bacteria. So this is going to be in things like leeks, bananas, garlics too. 
um, will all have some of this inulin, this prebiotic. Um, and definitely too, when you're going through, so this is in our food science section, when you're going through questions and you're seeing a word that you're like, excuse you, I've never heard of this before. Definitely look it up, look for examples because getting a question wrong is honestly one of the better ways to learn because it's causing you to pause and be like, oh shoot, I thought I knew this, but I actually didn't. Um, so that's a great one, a great one too. Okay, so next up we have another math question. Again, you guys are very hungry for math this week, so definitely check out the math boot camp class. So this one says, a cafeteria spent 51% of their income on food last month. The total food cost was 4322 And then we're saying, what was the total cafeteria income here? And so what we're saying here. And this is the type of question where it's like, ah, where's my equation? But remember, you guys, you guys know how to do math. And remembering you know how to do math is a key part to feeling much better with the math questions. So what we're saying, and I, with the percentages, I think it's helpful to kind of set up a proportion, right? Is that 51.3 over 100 is equal to, right, 4,322 over X, right, which is our income. So one way we can do this, and I'll show you two ways, but one way we can do this is cross multiply 100 times 4,322 and then divide it by 51.3 and that's going to get us 8,424. That's one way we can do this. Again, we have an answer bank here, you know, so what I can do too is I'm saying, well, what you know, if I put my numerator as 4,322, which of the answer options gets me 51.3%? So again, I can kind of just plug and chug, plug and chug. So if algebra is not your strong suit, you can use the answer bank too. This is also great, again, if you're getting a little bit short on time and you're like, okay, I just need to do this. A percent is telling us to divide. It means part of, so we can always kind of plug and chug, like I said, or you can do your proportion of your percent over 100 and then whatever piece they give you, whether it's the denominator or the numerator. We have an ice cream shop has a monthly fixed income of $550.95. The average variable cost is $114.89 per month, depending on the price of whole milk, and the shop sales were $1,000 per month. The labor costs were $80 per month. And we're asking ourselves, what is the break-even point? So this, right, we heard a question like, we heard a question like this before. And so what we wanna be thinking about is are we in units or are we in sales volume? So a little trick I like to think about when we're kind of deciding between this is you wanna look at the wording of the question and noticing that if we're talking about in sales volume, a lot of the the like size of the numbers will be similar, right? So here we have like hundreds, thousands, versus where if we're in units sold, we'll be see a big number and then two small numbers because we're going to be talking about kind of those smaller units there too. So for this one, we're going to be doing break even is going to be equal to fixed costs, right? Which it told us was 5,000 
5,000, not 5,000, I'm sorry, $550.95. And then what we want to be doing is we want to divide that and get, got to get all our parentheses, divide that by parentheses one minus, and then our parentheses. And this one is trying to trick us by talking about the labor cost per month. We want to put in the variable cost, right? Because variable costs would include labor costs. So we're doing $550.95 over 1 minus 114.89 divided by 1,000. So we actually don't need the labor cost here because, again, a lot of the time they try to get you because it's double counted. So when we do that math, that's going to show me that my break-even is going to be saying I need to sell at least $7,469.58 if we want to get specific of ice cream to break even, um, to break even this month too. Okay, another question we had too was a question from a student where she said diabetic exchanges, what type of questions can we see regarding this? How do they normally ask them? Really great question, definitely check out the diabetes um, class on this. So a few different ways we can see the questions. So sometimes they're telling you kind of calories and saying, oh, and how, what percent we want it to be from carb. And they're asking you how many exchanges they have. Sometimes they're asking you, they're giving you a food recall and they're saying, how many exchanges is this? Sometimes they're saying, you know, a patient doses their insulin, you know, with this amount per exchange, you know, and with this patient, how much insulin should they give? So you definitely want to be comfortable with knowing your exchanges. Um, definitely just search diabetic exchanges on the Facebook page and you'll find um, the diabetes exchange list. If You can also Google it too. It's through the American Diabetes Association. And you want to be familiar with it, kind of have a working knowledge. You're never going to know the exchanges. You're never going to know the exchanges for every single thing. But kind of being comfortable with it, I think a helpful exercise, again, if it's helpful for you, some students don't like to track their food, but to kind of look at your meals and, you know, kind of label the exchanges, like how many carbs is this, how many grams of fat, how many grams of protein, and saying, well, how many exchanges would this be? How would it kind of be for my diabetics exchanges? And again, if tracking is helpful for you, if tracking is not helpful, don't do that. Um, Another question we have from Lori, what's the difference between a balance sheet and an income sheet? So balance, you want to kind of think of the checks and balances. So like that, the balance sheet is saying like what's coming in versus coming out. And then income sheet is just like, oh, I sold how many courses, how many people paid me. It's not saying like my rent and my internet subscription, my website fees and paying my employees and different, um, different things too. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.